Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Yesterday, we had the privilege of watching the music and dance production Celtic Throne be staged for the fourth time in the past eight days. And tomorrow will be their fifth and final performance over a 10-day stretch. Right now at the top of thetrumpet.com, there's a banner advertising that final performance tomorrow night. Details of how you can watch it, whether you're here in Edmond or able to watch the live stream from anywhere in the world. Yesterday, for that performance, there were about 1,500 people watching online from around 30 nations and 44 American states. So it was nice to have Celtic Throne be seen by a much larger audience than usual. One thing about Celtic Throne, this incredible show, is that you really can trace King David's line through the millennia. And it doesn't even really take a whole lot of in-depth research to do this while I was watching the show yesterday I immediately thought of three different ways that you can prove that King David's line really did go from Jerusalem to Ireland to Scotland to England to America so today we're just going to cover three Proofs, you could call them, for tracing David's line all the way through these thousands of years. And by the way, at the end of this show, for the last 10 minutes or so, there will be a feature segment about the Celtic throne in Branson, Missouri, for two shows last week. So make sure you listen to the end today because you will hear some music and dance clips along with some narration and some interviews. I was able to get a lot of interviews on that trip last week. So three ways to trace King David's line through the millennia. There's a part in Celtic Throne where the dancers are wearing Scottish garb, and throughout this dance, they throw up a hand gesture in the air, basically putting their middle finger and thumb together, and it definitely looks a lot like a lion when you look at that hand gesture from the side. There's also, to this day, a very common coat of arms in England with three lions on it. In fact, the three lions is the name of the English national soccer team. And 
a lot of people now think, well, why is England so obsessed with lions? That doesn't even make any sense. Lions are not found naturally. Their natural habitat is not in England. Yet, lions are everywhere you look. All kinds of statues of lions, symbols of lions, all over England. And this actually goes way back to a coat of arms of a family of kings that started ruling there in 1154. But it goes back far beyond that. Like I said, Celtic Throne does trace King David's line from Jerusalem to Ireland to Scotland to England. And in Celtic Throne, with those hand gestures while they dance in that Scottish number, they are holding up what certainly appears to be a lion hand gesture. These lions actually trace all the way back to the ancient tribe of Judah. When ancient Israel became a nation, it was composed of 12 separate tribes, each with their own plot of land. And then also the Levites, who would intermingle among all of those 12 tribes, but didn't have their own land. One of these 12 tribes of Israel was Judah. And in Genesis 49 and verse 9, God describes Judah as a lion cub. And much more eye-opening than that, would be Revelation 5, verse 5, where Jesus Christ himself is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So this lion symbolism does go all the way back to the ancient tribe of Judah within the ancient nation of Israel. And then once this kingdom of Israel split into Israel and Judah, two rival nations that actually fought against each other at times. This new nation of Judah stuck with that lion symbolism. Going back 3,000 years, and you can trace those lions from ancient Judah all the way through Ireland, Scotland, and England to this day. So this is one way that you can actually trace King David's line through the millennia. This is one symbol you can look at to see where King David's line actually was traveling over the years. The second way, there's probably more, but two of the three ways the second of three ways that I thought of here is just through, of course, the dance itself. Celtic Throne is largely an Irish dance production, a celebration of Irish dance, the royal journey of Irish dance. And it's actually quite fascinating to read about this, even from secular sources. But where does Irish dance really come from? 
right before Celtic Throne premiered on June 28th, Mr. Brad McDonald gave us a Bible study. Members of the Philadelphia Church of God heard a Bible study just to prepare us for watching this show, to give us some of the inspiration behind it. And at one point, Mr. McDonald, the director of the show, was telling us about the example of King David and how much he loved to dance. There's a, an account here in 2 Samuel 6, verse 5, where King David is transporting the ark of God. Just listen to this and, and see if anything really sticks out to you. 2 Samuel 6, verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. So there is quite the spectacle as they transfer the ark. A lot of excitement, a lot of music. Maybe on the surface, to you, it would look like they were doing God a great honor through this display. However, the word played here, when it says they, that all Israel played before the Lord, it actually has a pretty bad connotation. In this instance, it's talking about laughing in pleasure or distraction or detraction. It's talking about derision, mocking, scorning, making sport. So this was sort of a sarcastic, disrespectful display. And this is all leading up to Uzzah being struck dead when he accidentally touched the ark. The oxen transporting the ark were knocked off balance. Uzzah touched the ark and was struck dead because that was not allowed. People usually think that, well, God did this just because of one hand touching the ark. But if you look at the context here, it's also pretty obvious that God wasn't pleased by this mocking spectacle as the ark was being transported. As Mr. McDonald talked about in that study before Celtic Throne premiered, David had to take correction. He took responsibility for what happened. And this did change the way that he treated the ark from that point on. It says here, 2 Samuel 6 and verse 12, that the ark was brought from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And that verse 13, that there were frequent sacrifices made to God on this trip back to the city of David with the ark. And then look at this, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. As Mr. McDonald pointed out, this wasn't just 
a spontaneous response to having the ark again. David was jumping for joy. And this was most likely a choreographed dance. Dancing and music still accompanied the ark, but this time it was a lot more respectful and well-organized. Basically, it was done God's way this time. David did change the way the ark was transported after that correction. This was powerful, strong, leaping, with full exertion, high jumping kicks, lots of pizzazz, as Mr. McDonald described it. Sounds an awful like an awful lot like Irish dance. But then, like I said, even if you look at the secular history of this dance form, it certainly does seem to describe what King David was doing there anciently. This is from Ireland's eye.com. It says here, the early history of Irish dance reveals a constant shifting of population through migration and invasions. Each of these peoples brought their preferred types of dance and music. That sounds really familiar. <laughs> to any of us who have been able to watch Celtic Throne. Shifting of population through migration and invasions. Celtic Throne talks about this dance form traveling from Jerusalem to Ireland, to Scotland, to England, to America. That's a lot of migration. And it also talks about the trials and tribulations that went along with transferring this throne, this kingly line of David. And even secular sources will corroborate this. One of the first references to Irish dance is actually in a letter by Sir Henry Sidney to Queen Elizabeth I in 1569, and he wrote, They are very beautiful, magnificently dressed, and first-class dancers. Going back to the 1500s, dance is evident in England. Irish dance is evident in England. There, uh, there's also another interesting uh, part here I'll get to in a moment that I just found more humorous. But first, uh, here's another quote from Ireland's eye.com. It says, During the mid-16th century, dances were performed in the great halls of the newly built castles. Some of the dances were adapted by the 16th century English invaders and brought to the court of Queen Elizabeth. One of these dances was the Trenchmore, which was an adaptation of an old Irish peasant dance. Okay, I just wanted to talk a little bit here about the Irish dance master. This part is pretty funny. This is this says, During the 18th century, the dancing master appeared in Ireland. He was a wandering dance teacher who traveled from village to village in a district, teaching dance to peasants. Dancing masters were flamboyant characters who wore bright clothes and carried staffs. Their young pupils did not know the difference between their left and right feet. To overcome this problem, the dancing master would tie straw or hay to his pupils' right, left or right feet and instruct them to 
lift hay foot or lift straw foot. Just picture my sisters Paris and Alexa or Jude Flurry or Zoe Hilliker and if any of these others who are involved with choreography, Vienna Flurry. They often have to teach those who might not know their left but and right feet apart at first as well. It continues here. Group dances were developed by the masters to hold the interest of their less gifted pupils and to give them the chance to enjoy dancing. The standard of these dances was very high. Solo dancers were held in high esteem. And often, doors were taken off hinges and placed on the ground for the soloists to dance on. Magnifying the sound there. Okay, here is the really humorous part. Each dancing master had his own district and never encroached on another master's territory. It was not unknown for a dancing master to be kidnapped by the residents of a neighboring parish. When dancing ma masters met at fairs, they challenged each other to a public dancing contest that only ended when one of them dropped with fatigue. So, the history of Irish dance is filled with quite a lot of competition and humor, too. And I do still have one more uh, point here, but I think I'll just save this for the episode next week. Uh, so we've just covered two of these ways to trace King David's line through the millennia. This symbol of the lions and also some of this history of Irish dance that really did originate with King David. So like I said, now we'll just have a little feature segment. It's about 10 minutes long. Um, it was written and recorded by me on my little handheld audio device. And Parker Campbell, a senior here at Armstrong College, put the, sh the segment together. So we'll just play this now and this will conclude the show. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. You're listening to Behind the Work. Gripping soundtrack, virtuosic musicians, captivating singers, stellar dancers, pinpoint choreography, vivid costumes, dazzling effects. Celtic Throne showcased the highest level of skill and family-friendly entertainment at Armstrong Auditorium in Edmond, Oklahoma on June 28th. Armstrong's latest theater production tells the story of King David's royal descendants as they dance their way across continents and oceans, from Jerusalem to Ireland to Scotland to England to the United States. Celtic Throne is the royal journey of Irish dance. How do you top a premiere at home? By taking the show on the road. And that's exactly what the 72 cast and crew members of Celtic Throne did with performances in the tourist hotspot of Branson, Missouri on June 30th and July 1st for audiences of 94 and 57, respectively. The Tuesday night and Wednesday morning shows in Branson were distinct from the premiere in numerous ways. Instead of playing on a massive screen behind the dancers, 
images and videos depicting the night sky, scenic landscapes, the American flag, and the universe appeared on a projector screen on either side of the small stage. During rehearsals, dancers and teachers searched for the balance between dancing too close together and getting too close to the precarious sides of the stage, which gave way to stairwells. The live band performed not at stage left, but on the theater floor beside stage right, opposite a stand full of black, gray, and green Celtic throne merchandise. A piano duo in the second half American medley transformed into a keyboard duo. Two large terraced platforms on stage in Edmond were replaced by one tiny single step surface. Unavailable were the strobe lights to accentuate the terror of gale and conflict, and red, white, and blue floodlights to punctuate the patriotism of resurgence. The throne and stone from the premiere did not travel to Branson. Celtic Throne director Brad McDonald commented on the challenges of adapting the show to a very different venue. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we've never done anything like this before, so we're just encountering new challenges, new challenges like every hour. Um, but it's been a good opportunity to practice the fifth law of success and be resourceful and come up with ideas. And it's been great to have everyone working together and encouraging each other. So it'll be interesting to see how tonight goes, but it's been a fun challenge to try to bring it all together. Performers were reminded to keep the standard just as high in Branson as they had during the premiere in Edmond. Assistant Director Paris Turgeon said. Yeah, so our biggest focus right now is just adjusting the choreography to the smaller stage size that we have here. Um, we're really emphasizing with the kids to, even though the stage is smaller and you might not be able to move as much um, in terms of like extension, um, but just to keep the movements pulled up and just kind of channel your energy upward instead of out. Um, yeah, so that's the biggest thing that we're working on. We are. Um, trying to keep improving this week even though we're in a different environment and under different circumstances that was one of the things that um, Mr. Stephen Flurry talked about with the kids this morning was just making sure that we don't drop the standard um, because we're in a smaller venue and just kind of keeping that that quality high so that we're still improving and then that way by our next performance on Armstrong Auditorium stage we're, we're going to be in a good position um, for that in terms of making progress from last performance there. Despite the minor changes for the Branson doubleheader, the overall impact of Celtic Throne remained the same. Patrons raved about the show. What'd you think? I absolutely loved it. Yeah? It was amazing. The, there was so much talent with the musical instruments and with the dancers. It was just fantastic. I would love to see it again. What was your favorite part? Um, the thunderstorm song, where yeah. you could actually see the storm build throughout the, the whole dancers and the just intensity and the strength and just everything of that whole song was my favorite. It was unbelievable. Yeah. The, the, my, my two favorite parts were the opening of the second act and the British one where they did uh, God save the king. Yeah. That was fun. The, the costumes were unbelievable. I'm having lots of trouble 
believing there's kids this good. They were unbelievable. We weren't expecting young kids, but they're awesome. You know, it's going to sound strange. It was all good, but one thing that really impressed me was the smiles on their faces. They, they actually love what they're doing. Exactly. They actually are having a good time doing it, and it just it pictures, it makes you think of King David when he was running and leaping and dancing. I mean, he just full of joy. In his June 26th Bible study for Philadelphia Church of God members, Mr. McDonald, referring to all mankind, described Celtic throne as your story, your history, your future, your throne, and gave examples of how each individual audience member could see differing symbolism throughout the show. Celtic throne is powerfully patriotic. While celebrating the history and culture of Ireland, Scotland, England, and America, Celtic Throne also depicts the fulfillment of Bible prophecies about blessings and curses. Celtic Throne reenacts the rise and fall of nations. Celtic Throne portrays the glorious universe-ruling potential of every human being who has ever lived.
You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time.